welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church Lagos. We hope this sermon answers the doubts or questions that you have about the Gospel, its relevance to your life, and the ever-evolving culture around us. Our vision is to see the City of Lagos and beyond renewed by the Gospel, and to make that happen, we need your support. You can do this by rating this podcast, following us, and giving through the Give tab on our website, citychurchlagos.com. Thank you for your generosity. We pray this sermon impacts you positively with the gospel. Good morning, church. Today's Bible reading is from Mark 4, 21 to 25. When I'm done, I will say this is the word of the Lord. Please respond by saying thanks be to God. He said to them, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, everyone. Good morning, church. Today is the Lord. Today is the day the Lord has made. We we'll rejoice and be glad in it. I'm thankful to God for this opportunity. Okay, let me first introduce myself. In case you don't know why people are excited, my name is Mojirola Lukoni, and I am a new member of the preaching team. So, yeah, I'm great. <laughs> I'm grateful to God for making this day possible, for counting me worthy to serve you by preaching his word. I'm also grateful to the leadership of City Church. And I'm grateful to everyone that has held my hand along the way to ensure that I bring God's word faithfully to you this morning. People are smiling. I don't know what to do. <laughs> And the confidence with which I stand here this morning is not that I'm here to speak my word, but that I'm here to speak God's word. And God has given us the assurance that his word is alive and is active. He's able to get to the depths of our souls and our spirits to show us who we really are. The Bible says the word is like a light to our feet to show us where we need to go, how we need to go to get to the destination God is taking us. But God's word is also, it also brings comfort, it brings hope, it brings strength, and it brings encouragement. So on that basis, let's pray to God this morning. Dear Father, we are here to hear from you. So Lord, as we delve into your word, we pray that you order our steps. Please order our steps in your word. Wash our hearts in your word so that we can see you clearly. So that we can hear you clearly. And so that these ancient words will change our lives and transform us to be who you've called us to be in this world. 
Lord Jesus, I hide myself behind the cross. And I pray that as I speak, your spirit will breathe life onto the words. So that our lives will be transformed for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name I've prayed. So if you've been in church for a while, you know that there's been a subtle battle going on in church. And it's the battle for a title, the CSTO of City Church. And <laughs> in case you're new here, what that title is, is the Chief Storytelling Officer of City Church. And for a long time, Pastor Femi has held on to this title and rivaled. And then Ebube, who happens to be his brother-in-law, steps onto the scene and is like, you know, Pastor Femi, you're not, you're not doing anything. I'm better than you. And you know, then there's this drag. They'll sometimes they're on stage. They're like, I'm better than you. You're not better than me. You know, sometimes I just sit at the back there and I just shake my head. <laughs> so this morning, one of my goals is to kill this battle once and for all. today we'll know there is only one CSTO and others. Pastor Femi, with all due respect. So at the start of our sermon this morning, I'm going to share with you a story that I wrote and also about mothers because today is Mother's Day. So happy Mother's Day once again. As I took the inevitable steps to open the door of my father's house, fear gripped me. And my heart started beating rapidly, like a drummer trying to run after the singer. I wanted to turn back, but I did not have any other place to lay my head. So I slowly wheeled my legs forward, hoping somehow for a miracle. I told Jesus I was sorry. And that if I could successfully evade the situation waiting for me in that house, I would not sin against him again. Some, some people can, they can relate to this. I had made this kind of promise to him before. Like when I wanted my menstrual pain to disappear. Or when I wanted my father mass teacher to fall ill so that he won't come to school. I had gone back on my promise. But this time, I was certain that if what I prayed for really happened, I would really, really, really not sin again. But as I opened the door of my father's house, I saw my mother. She lifted her eyes from the book she was reading and her gaze fell upon me. I immediately felt my fear materializing into drips of sweat, flowing in a downward direction as my mother looked for me, looked at me from head to toe. I stood there like a statue until she said those two words, come closer or come here. And I knew the end had come for me if Jesus doesn't come and hand the word right now. This is how my day started. Ah, this is how my day is ending, but this is not how it started. Earlier in the day, my mom sent me to go and buy the rice we will cook for dinner. But on my way to the supermarket, I met Retty. Retty is the only friend I have in the neighborhood and the only friend my mom does not like. I liked her because she lived a version of myself I didn't have the boldness to live. She changed her name from Retty Olua to Retty in school. Please, is there anything in the house? Please, don't follow. She got home anytime, went anywhere. She was every shade of I don't care. My mom thinks people like Retty are beyond redemption. So the only thing left to stay is just to stay away from them. She even asked me not to spend time with her in school. But when I saw Retty on my way to the supermarket, I knew the day could not get any better for me. 
I will spend some time with Red Sea under the excuse of going to go and buy rice for dinner. Everything even worked together for my good when she invited me to her house to show me some of her clothes she just bought. I would just spend 30 minutes with Bertie and then continue my journey to go and buy rice for dinner. It's getting late, or won't your mommy be worried? Ah, I jerked back to reality. I cannot explain what happened. I cannot explain how daylight turned darkness in just 30 minutes. I'm still trying to find the words so that you can really understand it wasn't intentional. But there are no words. Maybe it was intentional. But I won't do such a thing. I'm not like, I'm not like Retsy. Although right now, as I'm trying to move close to my mother, I want her audacity to be poured all over me like a bucket of cold water. Come closer, my mom said gently. I wanted her to shout immediately so that she can quickly calm down, just like when it is turned off a boiling water. But she, quick, she decided to go the slow, poison way with her first question. Where are you coming from? She picked her words carefully like a farmer trying to pick weeds. I said, where are you coming from? My mom asked, avoid, my mom asked again, her voice loud and low at the same time, like she was trying not to wake someone. I suddenly remembered I had a father who was also supposed to eat out of the rice I was supposed to buy for dinner. I said, where are you coming from? I urgently wheeled the words out of my mouth, Rex's house. And you are just coming on. She asked me the second question. What time is it? I looked at the wall, brothers and sisters. It was already 10.05. I wished it was still 9.59 p.m. Because the scale of discipline in an African house crushed a big threshold between 9.59 and 10, even though it's just one minute. She asked again, and she, I said, 10.05. Brethren, I don't know what happened to me. But my, I know that my mom's voice just suddenly became distant and there was a continuous ringing in my ears. I think it's called dirty slab. <laughs> and when I thought the questioning was over, she asked me the third question, which is the deadliest question you can get from an African mother. Did you eat in their house? <laughs> At this point, my life flashed before me, and I wished the sound in my ears were the trumpet announcing Jesus' coming. She asked again, did you eat in their house? My mouth was so heavy to speak. So as I raised up my head to bring it down, y'all know the rest of the story. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Pastor <laughs> Femi, we told you respect. In this story, my mom asked me three questions. Where are you coming from? What time is it? And did you eat in their house? And it feels like these questions are random and they are distinct. There's no similarity between the, three, between the three. But there is a similarity that cuts across these three questions. My mom already knew the answers to those questions. She already knew, when she said, where are you coming from? She already knew there was no place for me to go, apart from Retty, out in the neighborhood. When she asked, what time is it? There was a clock on the wall. And when she asked, did you eat in their house? Like every typical African mother who can see through the stomachs of their children, she already knew I'd eaten in Reti's house. So why was my mother asking me those three questions when she already knew the answer? My mom was asking me to communicate a point, to communicate an idea to me. So when she asked, where are you coming from? It was not necessarily because she didn't know that it was Reti's house. It was to communicate the time that I was coming home. And then when she asked, what time is it? 
It wasn't that she didn't know what time it was, but to communicate the senselessness of the time that I was coming home, 10.05 p.m. And then when she asked, did you eat in their house, was to communicate to me that as I've chosen to be a disobedient child, that at this point in my life, I'm finished. So the questions my mom asked me, she asked not necessarily because of the answer, but to communicate a point and an idea. And that is the kind of question Jesus is asking us this morning. To make a point, to communicate an idea. Jesus says in verse, in verse 21 of our text, he said to them, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Jesus already knows the answer to this question. Jesus knows that the answer to this question is no. Nobody will intentionally get a lamp that is burning and put it under a bowl or put it under a bed. Uh, but just like nobody will want to intentionally ruin family dinner for the entire family, sometimes we can still find ourselves doing the things that we shouldn't do. We can still find ourselves hiding the lamp under the bowl or a bushel. And the question Jesus is posing to us with our passage this morning is, where is your lamp? Peradventure, we've eaten it when it's supposed to be out there in the open. Peradventure, we've put it under a bed or under a bushel. Where is your lamb? That's the title of my sermon this morning. So if Jesus already knows the answer to this question, if Jesus already knows the answer is no, then what point is it trying to make to us with this question? What idea is it trying to communicate to us with this question? Let's move to verse 22 and 23. For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. And whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. Next verse, please. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. So Jesus is saying there is something hidden that is meant to be brought out into the open, just like a lamp is placed on a stand for people to see. There is something concealed that is meant to be disclosed. And then he says, if anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. This last statement paints the picture of when you are receiving words of wisdom from an elderly person. In my culture, when they are done with you, they will tell you, It means that I have given you this truth and this insight. All that is left for it to translate into your life is what you do with what you've heard. So when Jesus says, if anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. It is a word of caution for us to pay double attention to the points he is trying to make. So that we can appropriate it correctly and it can translate into our lives to live the life he has called us to live. Amen. So there is something that is eating, that is meant to be placed out on the open, just like a lamp is placed on a stand to make people see. So what is eating that is meant to be placed out in the open? That leads me to my first point. The kingdom of God is a lamp. You see, right now we are in Mark chapter 4. And Jesus is saying there is something eating that is meant to be disclosed. For us to understand what Jesus is talking about, we need to go all the way back to chapter 1 to understand what has been going on before this time that can help us understand the parable Jesus is talking about here. What has been going on? What has been going on? What has Jesus been doing that can help us understand this thing that is eating that is meant to be placed out in the open? Let's go to Mark chapter 1 verse 14 to 15. This was as, as Jesus was about to start his ministry. It says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the goodness of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent 
and believe the good news. Jesus starts his ministry by announcing the arrival of God's kingdom. He says the kingdom of God is here. The appointed time is here. There's been a, you've been waiting for so long for this kingdom. But the time has come for me to usher in this kingdom. This kingdom of God. And while it might look like Jesus steps onto the scene to suddenly introduce the kingdom of God. This is a thing that has been coming a long way before this time. When Adam and Eve sinned in, in Genesis, for God to redeem man, God chose Abraham. And made a, a covenant to Abraham that through him all nations will be blessed. And then through Abraham, God takes a step further and then he chooses the Israelites to be a special people to him, to be a holy nation to him. When God called um, Moses up onto Mount Sinai to give a word to the Israelites, this is what he told them in Exodus 19 verse 6. He says, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you have to speak to the Israelites. Meaning if things go according to plan, the Israelites were to be unto God a kingdom of priests and have God as their king. They are to be like a holy nation set apart to reflect the life of God's kingdom to every other nation. But things don't go according to plan. Because this is what happened in 1 Samuel 8. Verse 5. Please. Okay. Let me read from my notes. They said to him, okay, speaking to prophet Samuel. The Israelites speaking to prophet Samuel. You are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. Then verse 7. And the Lord told him, that's the Lord speaking to prophet Samuel now. Listen to all that the people are saying. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. Things don't go according to plan because in 1 Samuel chapter 8, People say, God, we don't want you to be our king anymore. Give us an earthly king like any other nation. And God grants the desires of their hearts. But God warned them about the consequences of having an earthly king. That things won't end well. And things don't end well. God gave them King Saul. And things don't end well. These things continue to unfold and unfold into first kings and second kings. Some of us don't like to read that book, those books because of how gory it is. But along the way, when God rejected Saul, he chose King David. David was a man after God's own heart. And then God makes a covenant with David. And he told him that he would give him an everlasting kingdom and a throne that would be established forever. Now an everlasting kingdom needs an everlasting king, but David dies. So who is this king? And who is, what, what kingdom is coming that will last forever? So people keep waiting. Generations after generations. Decades after decades for this kingdom. And when it feels like nothing is no longer happening, this is what happened when the angel appeared to Mary in, in Luke, in the New Testament. Luke chapter 1, verse 31 to 33. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. The message that the angel gives to Mary shows us that Jesus is the one that has been promised. The king who will live forever with a kingdom that will last forever. So when Jesus starts his ministry, it is only befitting that he starts by announcing that I am here because of this kingdom. And this kingdom is the kingdom of God. 
And after Jesus proclaimed this, everything he went on doing from Mark chapter 1 up until the point we are right now in Mark chapter 4 is a reference to the kingdom of God. The Bible says he went about healing people. Mark particularly recorded um, an account of Jesus healing a paralyzed man. Showing us that in God's kingdom, bodies that are weak, bodies that are perishing away, bodies that are unglorious will become bodies that are powerful, bodies that are strong, bodies that are glorious, and bodies that are imperishable. Jesus is saying, you're looking for, for perfect bodies. My kingdom can undo it. But Jesus did not only heal the paralyzed man, Jesus also forgave the paralyzed man. You're looking for a just world, a, perfectly, a perfect world of justice. Jesus says, my kingdom can undo it. But a perfectly just world is one where we are all guilty before God. But thank God for the love of Jesus, who died on our behalf and wiped our slates clean so that we can now possess this kingdom. As Jesus proceeds, I think in chapter 2 or 3, he's questioned about Sabbath. And Jesus' response makes us understand that it is in his kingdom we can find true rest. The best this world can offer is vacation, Maldives, in Maldives. And yoga, yoga. In case you don't know yoga, yoga, it's yoga. It depends on, depends on what you, yeah. Let's just stick with vacation and yoga. That's the best this world offers. But then you come back to your reality. But Jesus said, you're looking for a place where you'll be in a constant state of rest. Where your soul can be at peace and you're not dead. Jesus says, it's in my kingdom you'll find it. As Jesus continues his ministry, the teachers of the law and his family members, they accused Jesus. And last two weeks, Toki showed us that even though they accuse him, this Jesus is not insane. This Jesus is not a legend. This Jesus is not a liar. This Jesus is Lord. So it does not matter what people are saying around you. Whether they are telling you this Jesus, what he's saying does not make sense. Whether they think it does not even exist. Whether they think he is lying. God has given us the assurance of his word that the day is coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that this same Jesus, that he is Lord. If we put our hope in earthly kingdoms, they will fail. Do you know why? Because we expect them to fulfill a destiny they were not created for. It is only the kingdom of God that can provide a perfect world with perfect beings for all eternity. And even though it started like a candlelight in a manger in, in Bethlehem, it has shone so brightly that somewhere right now in Akim Dixon, Lekki, Lagos, we are holding on to that, to that kingdom as our hope that can never be dashed, as our future that can never be shaken, and as our inheritance that has been willed to us by the precious blood of Jesus. And not just for us, but for generations to come. Your seat's being occupied right now and the kids in their classes right now is an indication that the kingdom of God is advancing and the light of God's kingdom can never be snuffed out. It's all about the kingdom. And Jesus says this kingdom cannot be hidden. You, cannot, you can't put this kind of kingdom under the bowl. You can't put it under a bushel. This is a kingdom that we need to put out there in the open. And if we have been brought into the kingdom, we have a responsibility to shine the light of this kingdom. We are the ones that have collected the baton from those that have put the kingdom out in the open for us. 
And right now, as we are holding the baton, we need to put the kingdom of God out in the open for others so that we can faithfully pass the baton and the kingdom of God can continue to advance. Amen. So how do we put this kingdom of God in the open? Out in the open. How can we ensure that we are faithfully doing what has been committed to us? That leads me to my second point. The kingdom of God is not a secret. I think that the best person that we can learn from is Jesus himself. The Jesus who brought this kingdom to earth. How did he go about putting this kingdom out there in the open that right now we know about that kingdom and we are holding on to this kingdom? Again, let's go back to the beginning of his ministry in Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. It says, after John was put in prison, Jesus, excuse me, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus started his ministry by proclaiming about the kingdom of God, by talking about the kingdom of God, by sharing truths about the kingdom of God, by teaching about the kingdom of God, like the parable we are just looking at now. Jesus spoke about the kingdom, but Jesus did not only speak about the kingdom. Jesus also demonstrated the power of the kingdom. Jesus also showed the life of the kingdom. In Luke chapter 11, verse um, 20, it says, But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus did not just speak about the kingdom. Jesus also demonstrated the life of the kingdom. People have said that when it comes to putting the kingdom of God out there in the open, uh, just show. Talk is, talk, you're doing too much when you talk. Just, talk is cheap. Just let people see your life. When they see your life, you know, they will get it one way or the other, you know, and your light will shine. Is this, is this all we need to do? When Jesus was about to send out the 72 disciples, those he, he appointed apart from the 12 disciples, disciples, Jesus gave them a specific instruction on how they were to put the kingdom of God out in the open. He says, when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Food is important. <laughs> and then he says, heal the sick who are there. In other words, demonstrate the life of the kingdom. Show them the power of this kingdom. And then he says, go home. No. He says, and tell them. In other words, do it. But tell them the reason why you do it. Don't leave room for doubt. Tell them that I demonstrate this power. I did this because of the kingdom of God. Let them know the reason why you do what you do. So when people say, don't talk. Just, you know, just, just show. It doesn't hold water. Again, because this is not how we function. How many of you know Pastor Femi loves tea? How did you know? Because someone said he can't stop talking about it. He's drinking tea right now. Pastor Femi talks about it. But Pastor Femi doesn't only talk about it. If you go to his Instagram page, you will see his vast kingdom of tea. He shows you, if, you're, if you've met with him, he'll probably show you how he makes his tea in a particular way. The water, the water has to reach a particular level for it to taste a particular way. So he's sharing and he's showing. I'm not sure he's converting people because some people still think that he's drinking dirty water or flavored water. But let's stick with the principle. When you set your affection on something, you talk about it. With all due respect. 
when I and my husband, when we were dating in school, people saw that something was going on between these two because we were everywhere together. We did everything you can imagine together. I'm sorry, I take that back. Um, um, let me tell you what we did together. We, we prayed together. We went to the library together. Um, we went to functions together. Please, those are the only things we did together. I'm saying the truth. <laughs> we did those things together and people could see that there is something going on between these two people. But when it was time for me to introduce my, my, was my boyfriend then to other people, I'd be like, um, meet Tomiwa. And then Tomiwa be waiting for the next. He's my boyfriend. I don't see anything. I dropped the ball. And we had to talk about it. Because if I have set my affection on this person, in this capacity, then I need to talk about it. Again, we like to associate ourselves with people with value, people in high esteem. You're having a conversation with your friends and you're talking about somebody influential, somebody you, you hold in high esteem. And then another person in the circle realizes that your surname and the surname of the person that you're talking about, it rhymes. And they ask you, whose name should I use here? Let me use my husband's name. Tomiwa, eh, are you related to this person? Now, the truth is that you don't know whether you are related. But because we like to associate ourselves with people of value so that people can value us, you throw out a lineage connection that is sane enough to sound true but complex enough for people not to trace. So you'll be like, it's my uncle's brother's sister's husband. And then people will be like, uncle's brother's... Oh, okay. <laughs> so if we are so quick to associate ourselves with people of that we value in our speaking, why should it be any different with God? If we love God and have been brought into his kingdom, we need, to, we, need to, we need to talk about it. This kingdom is not a secret. It's not something we shh about. It's not something we whisper about. It's something we hold with our chest and we talk about. Everybody is nodding. That means you agree with me that we need to talk about it. So what are the hindrances that can stand in our way of talking about the kingdom of God like we want to? Because we want to do it. Abi? What are some challenges that can be standing in our way of talking about the kingdom of God like we should? And what can we do about them? I think one reason is that we are waiting to be perfect. Many of us are waiting to be like Pastor, Pastor Femi, I'm sorry. Many of us are waiting to be like Pastor Femi. You know, when he, when he explains the kingdom of God to you, I don't know how many of you um, listen to the theology there, the kingdom of God. He saw those, those circles, those charts. He has those numbers. We are waiting to be like Pastor Femi. And if you don't get to that point, you're like, I'm not going to say nothing. We are waiting to be experts before we talk about the kingdom of God. Again, this doesn't hold water because this is not how we function. Do we wait to become a lecturer before we share knowledge? Do we wait to become professors before we form our, an, an opinion about something? If there's anything we do, it is that we don't wait to know everything about something. Before we form our opinions on it, and then talk about it, argue about it, stay on it, try to convince somebody about it. We are so quick to share our half-baked opinions about things, but not so quick to share the truth of God's kingdom that we have. Jesus is saying this is not acceptable. The way to shine the light of God's kingdom is not by waiting to shine it. Even with negative things, they are thieves. They are thieves. 
There are some people that will steal from you. And the way they stole from you, we push you to allocate part of the time you are using to mourn the loss of your property. So I appreciate how they stole from you. Be like, oh, this person, for him to have gotten me, this person has been doing this thing over and over and over and over again to be this good at it. So if there is nothing in this world that will become experts in one day, why are we waiting to become experts before we can share the truth of God's kingdom that we have? I think I know another reason beneath our waiting. And it's that we are ashamed to speak about the kingdom. When I and my husband, my husband has corrected me, when my husband and I, when we were living in Aja about a year ago, we tried to show the life of God's kingdom in our neighborhood as much as we could. We were open. We tried to be extra. You know, you, you laugh at their jokes, even though it's not funny. You check up on them. We knew the neighbor beneath, be, beneath us. Is that right? Yes. Was a Christian. But we were not sure about the neighbor beside us. We weren't sure. Like, ah, we don't know whether this guy was a Christian. So we tried to, you know, try to be nice to him, show him the life of the kingdom. Christians, you know, don't box us. We tried to vibe with him, you know, play games with him, all those kind of things. But on a particular Sunday, I, my, my husband and I got back from church. <laughs> and we forgot the key of our house in church. Bad day. So my husband went back to get it. And then this neighbor beside us drives in. I was sitting under a shed. And he saw me. And he said, ah, what happened? And I said something like this. I said, my husband and I were coming from somewhere. So we forgot the key of our house there. So he went back there to get it. Did I lie? <laughs> Mommy said I lied, I lied. If she said I lied, I lied. But do you notice what was missing? This was the time for me to articulate that the reason why we've been extra, the reason why we've been kind to you, the reason why we've been reaching out to you is because there's a kingdom in view that I'm living for and that it's the kingdom of God and that I was coming back from worshipping the king of that kingdom. But I kept quiet. And he was like, ah, come in. Come into my house. Let's gist and talk while we wait for your husband. And I bowed my head in shame. Because before this time, I was very, very confident that I was in Paul's shoes, who says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. But after this incident, I found myself in Peter's shoes, denying my faith because of the person in front of me. You are chased. You don't sleep around. People know you for it. But then it's time for you to articulate why. And they'll be like, commitment? You know? I just believe in commitment, it's my value. You're a very good boss. People can see that there is something. They cannot, they cannot touch it. They, they know there is something different about you. They know that you are different from every other boss. They can see that there is something. They can't just catch it. And then they go come to you and be like, how are you like this? Why are you like this? And then you see 20 habits of a good leader. You give them a book to go and read. We learned about financial stewardship last year. It's time for you to dispense those, those good information. And then you say everything else apart from the fact that you learned it in church. 
You've come out of a very difficult situation. And people are like, Omo, how did you go about this thing? And then you see everything else, apart from the fact that you came out in church and people laid hands on you and prayed for you. You see, if you are generous, thank God. But generosity is not an exclusive trait of, trait of Christianity. If you're a good boss, you don't even have to be a Christian to be one. If you're kind, kindness is not an exclusive trait of Christians. You see, your situation might not be as direct as Peter. But have you found yourself in a position where you could have spoken up about your faith? Where you could have wiggled your conversation to beat with your chest that this is because of my faith in Jesus and because of the kingdom of God that I am living for. And then you kept quiet. If we love God and have been brought into his kingdom, we need to talk about it. It's not a secret. If we talk about the kingdom of God and our lives don't align, that leaves us as hypocrites, right? But if we live the life of the kingdom and we don't talk about it, that leaves us as cowards. There was a quote that I came across while I was studying this passage by Dr. Ekstrand. And he says, as disciples of Jesus, we are not to conceal the truth that we know or the truth of what we are. No, are we to pretend to be other than what we are? If we are people that have been brought into the kingdom and our identity is tied to this kingdom, and everybody around us needs to know. So that is talking. But what about showing? Again, you would all agree with me that we need to show the life of God's kingdom in our way of life. So what is an hindrance that can be standing in our way of showing the kingdom of God through the way we live? I think one reason to that is we forget that what we have is actually a lamp. And a lamp is needed in darkness. You see, if we forget that what we have is a lamp, and a lamp is needed in darkness. If we forget that we still live in a dark world, then our way of life will begin to blend into this world. Our way of life will continue to live according to the moral code of this world. Do we really understand the gravity of living for God's kingdom? Or you think the lamp you have is for you to hide and then blend into the dark? But the king of our kingdom has something to say about that. He has something to say about how the people of this world live and how as people who, has been who have been brought into the kingdom ought to live. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 to 47, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be the children of your father in heaven. If you love those who love you, what reward are you going to get? And not even the tax collectors doing that. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not pagans do that. Jesus is saying the people of this world, they greet people who greet them. They love those who love them. So when your gates man says good morning and you say good morning back, don't expect an applause. You're not doing anything different. If we think that we are putting the kingdom of God out in the open by loving those who only love us, then we are being delusional. Because the people we are trying to reach out to, they do the same thing. Our lives are not any different. When I got to Lagos, I moved to Lagos from Ilori. And after spending some 
after spending like few months in Ilorin, I decided that in this Lagos, nobody will take me for granted again. Because in Lagos, people are going to show you Pepe, Shege. Thank you. You see, all over the world, people are going to show you Pepe. But in Lagos, they will not only show you the Pepe. They will, after they show you the Pepe, they will not put you inside the Pepe. And then grind you alongside the Pepe. And then use you to make Pepe soup. They will finish you. They will say, due, with all due respect, and then they will trample on you like grass. Pastor Femi, that's not what I was doing on the stage. Lagos is like a city with many fruits, but with much more thorns. And these thorns, they come in different shapes and sizes, different genders, different age, different profession. Please, I'm not saying, everything I'm saying is fictional. On the road, they are there. In our places of work, please, I take my back. In your places of work, they are there. In our neighborhoods, they are there. They are there to just, the day you decide I'm going to live for God today, then they start pricking you and choking you and pushing you and pushing you till you get to the wall. Please, what else do you do when you get to the wall? Yes, the world says you bounce back. But the king of our kingdom has something to say about that too. I don't like it too. In Mark 5, 38-41. Again, you have heard that it was said. Eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them how many miles? Two miles. Jesus says they slap you one cheek, you turn the other one. Like they show you pepper, then you go to the market and buy tomato and give it to them. Jesus is saying, okay, wait, let's first talk about what Jesus is not saying. Because sometimes we can use the excuse of what Jesus is not saying to downplay what he's really saying. Jesus is not saying we put ourselves in danger or we put ourselves in arm's way. Jesus is using the word slap to communicate personal slights of any kind. Somebody offending you. Somebody stepping on you. Somebody taking you for granted. What you did was a slap to the face, we will say. And Jesus is saying at that point, when the world says the only thing you can do is to bounce back. Jesus is saying, return. Jesus' word to us here is to forego retaliation. That we need to be as accommodating as much as possible for the sake of a lost world. Retaliation is what the world, is the solution the world provides. It's the attitude they celebrate. It is the attitude they encourage. Do me, I do you. God no go vex. Jesus is saying which God? People are going to call us idiots. Why are you, why are you, why are you acting like you don't have sense? Can't you see? But if responding to hatred with love and ignoring personal, personal slights would afford you the opportunity to put the kingdom of God out there in the open, would afford you, would afford you the opportunity to put the life of the kingdom out there in the open so that you can catch somebody's attention and afford you the opportunity to talk about the kingdom, are you willing to let go? People of this world, they celebrate us and tell us it is that we should always claim our rights. But Jesus says, for the sake of the kingdom, we also need to have a posture to lay it down. If you're like me, somebody will ask, wait, 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 does this mean I will never hold on to my rights? 
And I'll respond by saying, does this mean you will never lay down? Are we getting the point? Or do we just want to draw the line so that we can justify our actions? You see, some of us come to church to ensure that our lamp is burning bright, very bright. We come to church to ensure that there is oil in our lamps, enough oil. We come to church to ensure that there is no dust on our lamps, only to go home and to hide it under the bed of validation, under the bed of acceptance, under the bed of shame, under the bed of excuses. We do everything with the lamp apart from putting it out there for people to see. For us to put the kingdom of God out in the open, we need to talk about it. And we need to show the life of the kingdom in our way of life because this kingdom is not a secret. So we've looked at verse 21, 22, and 23. Let's go to verse 24. Jesus continued, Consider carefully what you hear. He continued. Let me just pause there. Jesus says, Consider carefully what you hear. Luke brings more, he brings more color to this statement when he was narrating the same parable in Luke 8, 18. He says, therefore, consider carefully how you listen. And my first question is, what does how you listen got to do with putting the kingdom of God out in the open? We talk, we show, what does listening, what does hearing got to do with it? This feels awkward. And that leads me to my awkward third point. Are you really listening? Many of us have probably been communicating with someone. You are talking to them. But you can tell that even though you are talking to them, they are not listening to you. How were you able to tell that they were not listening to you? Their words and their actions and their mannerism did not seem appropriate or weighty enough to what you just told them. And to communicate your, 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 um, your, your frustration, thank you. You say, are you even really listening to what I'm saying? And then you walk away. You see, we encounter this frustration in movies as well. If I ask, what does it take to be a good actor? You would say, confidence, physicality, costuming, prop work, stage comfort, text work, charisma, and all that. Those are very important. But there is one that is far more important and that we often miss. It is the ability to listen deeply and truly. I was reading an article on acting. And it says the ground level, the groundwork of acting is being able to listen. You can have all those skills in your ass now. But if you're not able to listen deeply and truly to the person in front of you, you're going to be fake. And listening appropriately means that the actor is not just listening to deliver their lines. The actor is prioritizing the words and the actions and the emotions of the person in front of them so that they can welcome it and then respond appropriately. The article, I'm quoting the article. It says, in short, listening is the foundation of the craft of an actor. Without listening, we are simply showing and mimicking. This is not acting. Acting is the craft of emulating real life. And truly listening is to allow the audience to experience life. So when we watch a movie and you conclude, this person is fake. This person is, is not real. What we are saying is this person is not really listening to the person in front of them. The person has put themselves at the center 
such that the goal is no longer for, their, for the audience to experience life, but for them to deliver their lives and for them to shine. Could it be that the way which you are listening is affecting our own actions as well? You come to church and they tell you to be a good boss. Because that is the way, that is where you demonstrate the life of the kingdom. Because that is the way the kingdom of God operates. Because that is the way you put the kingdom of God out there in the open. So that you can get people's attention and talk about the kingdom of God. But the only thing you hear is be a good boss. And then you actually go ahead to become a good boss. Such that when people ask you, your faith does not come to mind. You see, you are not intentionally trying to hide the kingdom of God. But the way you have heard platforms you and not God's kingdom. Could it be that at the time when I could not articulate to my neighbor that I'm coming from church, I was listening to myself that said, keep quiet, don't be too religious, you know, don't be too showy. When the king of my kingdom has said, this kingdom is not meant to be eating. Talk about it. I displaced Jesus' words with my words and put my own words at the center. Offer your bodies as an acceptable sacrifice, but you hear, be chaste, so that I don't have commitment issues. That is how you've heard. So it's just natural that when people ask you about it, you're not trying to lie. That is how you've heard. So you just say it's commitment. Financial stewardship. The only thing you heard was use your money wisely. So that when people are asking you about it, it doesn't come to mind to say, I am also using my money this way because of the kingdom that I'm looking, that I'm, that I'm living for. Could it be that as we are hearing words of transformation, we are hearing it for ourselves. We are hearing it to put ourselves out in the open instead of putting the kingdom of God out there in the open. What's hearing God to do with it? Jesus is saying for us to properly address the issue of putting God's kingdom out there in the open without addressing the issue of how we hear his word. It's like when you're trying to get rid of a weed and then you cut the stem and not pull it out from the root. The root reason that our actions and our words are not putting God's kingdom of God out in the open is because we've put ourselves at the center of what we are hearing and then our audience is not able to experience the life of God's kingdom as they should. So what can we do about this? How can we consider how we hear the word of God so that it can translate in our speaking and in our life? I'm going to say three things. Listen appreciatively. Listen attentively. And listen with humility. Let's take listen appreciatively. Excuse me. You see, hearing poorly can be linked to the, how you value the person who is speaking to you. The way we listen is directly proportional to the value you place on the person that is talking to you. Some people will give you advice and you'll be like, vapor. And then another person will give you that same advice. And then you'll be like, with all due respect. And then you say your mind. Pastor Femi. I'm sorry, this with all due respect, I did not plan it. It just, it just came in like that. And then another person will give you that same advice. And you cannot say anything. And to just bow your head and say, thank you, sir. It is the same advice. But what has changed? The value the person holds in your eyes. So who is talking to us this morning? The person talking to us this morning is the son of God. But the son of which God? Is the son of the God who made the heavens and the earth. 
The God who sustains this universe with his mighty hand is the God that will march out the armies of the stars tonight. He will count each one. He will call them by name and not miss a single one. He's the God who gives the scientists an unending job of discovery. Everything we see and everything we know is like sand in a bucket to him. This world that we hold so dear is just a stool for his feet. Everything belongs to him. All glory, all power, all adoration belongs to this God. He is the Almighty. That's our God. And the person talking to us this morning is his son. But make no mistake to think he's any less. Because Jesus is not only the Son of God. Jesus is God the Son. Jesus is not only the Son of God. Jesus is God himself. So when you have this kind of person, scratch that. When you have this kind of being talk to you, how else can you first respond? Now to bow your head and say, thank you, sir. You hear a lot of words during the week. The words of your boss, the words of your spouse, the words of your child. But when you come to church, you've come to hear the word of the one who matters most. And that is why when we read the Bible, we tell you this one is the word of the Lord. And then we ask you to respond by saying, thanks be to God. It is to communicate that we are undeserving of this word. Thank you that you will look to us and we would have your attention. We need to fight to see the greatness of God so that we can value his word above all. Two, listen attentively. See, when you, when you appreciate the person that is talking to you, then you try to keep distractions at bay while you are listening to them. And there are a lot of distractions around us. Many times people talk about the distractions outside of us and rightly so. Because there are many. But what about those distractions inside of us? Those thoughts that follow us around every single time. And even dare to follow us into the presence of God. Your seat is occupied. Your eyes are open. Your ears are open. But your mind is far from you. We want to sit still and just hear from God. But the thoughts of yesterday and the thoughts of tomorrow, they still seep into our hearts and then they drown His voice. It's like we and the devil are in a constant state of war where we just want to sit still and hear from God. It's like our thoughts are like particles in motion that are just refusing to settle. But even though our hearts can be like a raging storm, we have a God that can say, peace, be still. In Psalm 28, 29 verse 11, the Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. And so, Lord, we join our faith together this morning. And we pray for every heart that finds it hard to be still in your presence. We pray, Lord, that you speak peace into such hearts. Lord, we speak peace over every anxious heart that finds it hard to hear you. Lord, when we come before you, let everything else fade away. But it is only you and your word. When we come before you, let every worry bow. Let every thought bow. Lord, let the peace that is beyond understanding flood all our hearts. God, still our souls, still our thoughts. So that when we come before you, it is only you that we hear. So that when we stand before you, it is only you that we know. So that when we come before you, it is only you that we see. We need to ensure that whenever we are before, whenever we are before God, it gets our utmost attention. Because we can only act on what we truly hear. And lastly, listen with humility. When you know that it is a privilege for somebody to speak to you, then you consider the words that they've said carefully. And that is what Jesus is saying to us this morning. And listening with humility means pause. 
Don't just move on quickly. Don't just come to church, hear the word, tick the box and move on. And then repeat the cycle. Pause. Consider. Ask questions. Think about it. Some people take notes during sermon to help them articulate, to help them get the truth of it. Some people listen to the sermon again. If that's not you, if that cannot be you, before you sleep at night on a Sunday, let your mind travel back to the words that you've heard. What did I hear this Sunday? What can I do about what I have heard? How can I put the kingdom of God out in the open with what I have heard? And then you pray for the Spirit to help you live out that word faithfully that week. We need to ask ourselves these questions because many of us come to church and then we walk out of church and then we leave what we've heard behind. And it is pride and arrogance to hear from the Son of God and do nothing about it. I'm rounding up now. So what if we actually don't hear what the Son of God is saying this morning? What if we just move on as usual? A passage ends with a warning. It says, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more and whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away from them. In other words, givers will have more and more to give. And those who don't give would have less and less to hold on to. This is a warning to say we can't be waiting to be perfect before we share the knowledge of God that we have, no matter how little. Because if we don't share it, our knowledge of God won't grow. I don't know what to say. We are not going to know what to say until we say the little truth that we know. It is as we are trying to give it to somebody else, as we are trying to clear to make it clear to somebody else, as we are stumbling, as we are trying to make it and talk about it, then we begin to understand more. Then the word of God begins to dwell in us much more richly. This is a warning for us to ensure that even while we are in the kingdom, we are as productive and as effective as we should be. It may sound uncomfortable to turn the other cheek. It may sound burdensome to lay our rights down. It, may, it might sound hard to pray for your enemies. But Jesus is saying this is what we need to do for the sake of the kingdom of God. But this is not what we do because just for the sake of the kingdom of God. This is what we do because this is how we gained entrance into the kingdom of God. The basis upon which salvation was made accessible and for you and for me was for Jesus to turn the other cheek. It was for Jesus to pray for his enemies. It was for Jesus to go the extra mile to lay down his life. You see, one of the things that can get you to do what you have the power and the right to do is when people challenge you to do it. When people dare you to do it. Jesus was challenged to do what he had the right and the power to do. He said, if you have the power, let him save himself. But Jesus held back for you and me. Jesus kept quiet. The light of the world was born in a manger. The most unlikely place is to want a birth certificate. He died the most gruesome of death on a cross. The most unlikely place to want a death certificate. So that you and I can be rescued from the sting of death and transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. If this is what has been done for us to, for us to come into the kingdom, shouldn't be our response be how high when Jesus says jump? See, Jesus did not only put the kingdom of God out there in the open by sharing and by showing. He also opened the gates of the kingdom by dying and by rising. Jesus chose the Israelites to be a kingdom of priests. Remember the passage we read, we read earlier? 
but things don't go as planned. So Jesus comes in, he paid the price to create an everlasting kingdom that we walk out to bring us in as the kingdom of priests based on his work. So Jesus is not saying, put the kingdom of God out there in the open to be part of the kingdom. Jesus is saying, put the kingdom of God out there because you are in the kingdom. Live like this because that is who you are. But if you're like me, you'll be like, I hear you, Mojirola, but this thing is hard. Toki showed us last week, watch out for the worries of this world. Watch out for the deceitfulness of riches. I come this week, I say, make sure you're talking. Make sure you're showing. Watch out for this. Watch out for this. And you're like, oh, where do I start from? This, this thing is too much. I watched a movie um, a few years ago. The title of the movie is Merlin. The title of the movie is the name of a boy. And that boy was given a special gift of magic. He said, with great power comes great responsibility. That applied to him too. Because with that, with that special gift, he gave the responsibility of his entire kingdom. The destiny of the entire kingdom was resting on his shoulders. And what that means is, if he makes a mistake, the kingdom suffers for it. If he's weak, the kingdom is weak. If he is in trouble, the kingdom is in trouble. And if he fails, that kingdom fails. At the beginning of each episode, they will remind us, they will say, in the land of myth and a time of magic, the destiny of a great kingdom rests on the shoulders of a young boy. His name, Merlin. Pastor Femi, sorry, you don't know about it. Is this what it looks like in God's kingdom? Is everything dependent on our shoulders? Such that if we fail, the kingdom fails. No. The destiny of God's kingdom does not lie on the perfection of our articulation. The destiny of God's kingdom does not lie in the perfection of our demonstration. The destiny of God's kingdom lies on the shoulders of our great king. And his name is Jesus. So our articulation and demonstration, though they are very important, it doesn't hold the power. It is only pointing to what has the power. Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation. So it doesn't matter whether you are the pastor or whether you are just a member. It doesn't matter whether you are the CSTO or others. It doesn't matter whether you, you are C.S. Lewis or you only quote C.S. Lewis. It doesn't matter whether it is... It doesn't matter whether you say it in a sentence or in a paragraph. It doesn't matter whether you wobble in your speech. We can be assured that the light of God's kingdom will shine through our efforts because the destiny of our kingdom lies on the one who has opened the gates of the kingdom and it will never fail. Do you bring in a lamp and put it under a bushel? Again, the point here is not the answer. But the point of what we can find ourselves doing about the kingdom of God. Let us write up and pray. Thanks for listening. If you found this sermon helpful, we hope you join us in the mission of renewing Lagos with the gospel by sharing it, rating this podcast, and following us. These actions help us reach more people with the gospel. You can also connect with us on various social media platforms via the handle at City Church Lagos. City Church. Love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.